You're listening to the Christian Civics Podcast, exploring how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square. I'm your host, Rick Barry, the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Christian Civics. And in a few minutes, I'm going to talk a little bit about what I think is one of the absolutely most important truths for Christians to remember when we start thinking about government and civic life. But first, I have to say, I'm really glad to be back with you. A few months ago, I became a parent, and it's it's tiring, you guys. But even if I hadn't become a dad this year, it's probably not surprising that we would have taken a lot of time off from the podcast. The pandemic, the civil unrest, the conspiracy theories spilling over into a violent insurrection just a few blocks from our office, the past year has changed our mission field a lot. The questions that Christians in the U.S. have about how to relate to politics have been changing, and they've been changing really quickly. And the rest of the leadership team and I, we needed to take some time to make some hard decisions about our work. There were some projects we were really excited about last year that just aren't the right fit anymore. But there are also some new needs and opportunities that I never would have imagined us taking on a year ago that we're actually really excited about now. But there's also a third category of things we've been working out, the stuff that we probably should have done a long time ago, but never got around to because I'm just one person and we didn't have the finances to bring on anyone else to help. One of those things is bringing on a producer to finally help us get this podcast to you more regularly. This is something my co-founder Danny and I have been talking about for a while, and it's a decision we committed to at the end of last year, but it wasn't something we were actually able to do until pretty recently. So now we have a new producer, Lauren Larson. She's a Texas native who's worked in broadcasting for over a decade. She covered the inside world of government for Federal News Network. She also produces radio shows like Good News for the City. And earlier this year, she started working with me on All Things Christian Civics podcast. With Lauren's help, we're kicking off a new season of the podcast today. And I'm talking about season like season of a show, not season of life. A bunch of episodes produced and released as a block one after the other. And this week, since the podcast is kicking off a new season, I think we should probably talk about one of the ideas that's absolutely foundational to the work we do at Christian Civics. For the most part, your politics aren't Christian. Your party's not Christian. Your political ideology's not Christian. And neither is mine. When it comes to politics, our job as Christians isn't to help one group of broken image bearers rule over another group of broken image bearers. Our job as Christians is to redeem our people and our cultures and our traditions. Every human movement will always fall short of the glory of God, not just the ones we hate and even the ones we really, really like. What's Christian about us is not the tribes we're part of or the movements we're part of. Scripture acknowledges that every believer is part of certain, sometimes the Greek is translated as tribes or nations, missionaries today call them people groups, southern or northern, raging liberal or reactionary conservative. Christians come from people groups 
because all people come from people groups. But Christians, God sends us back into our people groups as his witnesses and his ambassadors. Our job as Christians is to look at the movements that make sense to us and then figure out where they reflect God's truth and where they fall short of it, where they distort it. How does this tradition or this cause point to a a God-shaped hole in our hearts? And when does being part of it or supporting it compromise our witness? Then, once we figured that out, our job is to do the hard work of explaining that good news to the people around us, while also breaking away from them, maybe even challenging them directly, when the things they're working on or the way they're doing it would put us at odds with answering the call Jesus puts on our lives. When people are pursuing harmony in the church between Republicans and Democrats, or boomers and Zoomers, or white people and people of color, or rich or poor, we have a tendency to try to minimize those differences, to pretend they don't exist, or to act like the moral thing to do is to ignore that they exist. Our lives are hidden away in Christ, they say. God is not a respecter of persons. If anyone is in Christ, he's part of a new man. Our identity should be in Christ, not our party, not our race. All are one in Christ Jesus. But Scripture doesn't actually say that becoming Christian means ceasing to be anything else. The first church council in the book of Acts was all about whether there was a single Christian culture, a particular cultural heritage that was better for Christians than others, a single way Christians should order their lives and relate to the Roman Empire, whether Christians needed to all exist exclusively within a single unified people group. The answer was no. Believers were allowed to be both Jews and Greeks. Jewish believers were allowed to be culturally Hebraic or culturally Hellenistic. They didn't check their culture at the door. They had to let one another bring their whole selves to the gathering of believers and actually submit to the encouragement and correction of one another. They couldn't write off other believers because they weren't part of the same tribe or movement or people group. In Philippians, Paul tells his readers to put no confidence in the flesh, though he says, I myself could boast as having confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he is confident in the flesh, Paul says, I have more reason. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. In the late 60s and early 70s, Pastor Clarence Jordan wrote, a translation or a paraphrase of the New Testament called the Cotton Patch Gospel. His goal was to give his Southern, mostly white, Southern Baptist church members a way to connect with the regional and cultural references in the New Testament that are alien to us in the U.S. now. When he gets to that same passage in Philippians, he renders it this way. Put no stock in status symbols, even though I myself have plenty of these symbols. If anybody else thinks he has status, I have even more. A baptized church member, a white man from an old Southern family, a hundred percent Anglo-Saxon. As to religion, a Protestant. As to dedication, giving all outside agitators hell. 
as to church rules and regulations, spotless. I really like that he renders confidence in the flesh as status or status symbols, the things that let us separate ourselves from other people in our minds. When Paul says in Galatians and Colossians that there's no man or woman, Jew or Greek, free or slave, it's important to remember that those were three major distinctions in social status. They were three major social divisions, three things that let one group of people think that they had the kind of moral upper hand on another group of people. He wasn't saying you need to stop being Jewish or stop being Greek when you become a Christian. He wasn't saying you need to lose your genitals and become gender neutral, neither man nor woman. He wasn't saying that slaves weren't allowed to hear the gospel or free people weren't allowed to hear the gospel. He was saying that the things that give status outside of the church or the things that create boundaries between people in the world or obstacles to mutual humility in the world should not separate people from one another in the church. Jewish Christians had to be willing to hear teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness from the unclean Greeks. But a lot of conservatives in the church today have a hard time being called out on idolatry by someone who votes Democrat. Greek Christians had to be willing to hear teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness from Jews, who they largely considered to be weirdly provincial and backwater, maybe out of step culturally. But a lot of progressives in the church assume that their conservative brothers and sisters are either hypocrites or just don't actually know God as well as they think they do. If we engage with government and politics, what's Christian about us in the world and what gives us credibility on the topic in the church and moral standing to discuss the topic in the church isn't the party we're part of or the region we're from or how long ago our families came to this country. It's not whether our families came here willingly or not or how active we were in building up our town in the past, how deep our roots in the community go, how many people in the town have our last name or whether every generation of our family has been making more money and giving away more money than the generation before. What's Christian about our political engagement in the world and what gives us credibility in our political engagement in the church is not the people group we're part of in the public square. What's Christian about our political engagement is how we live our lives in the public square. How do we decide what our goals are? How do we behave in pursuit of those goals? Are we willing to challenge people who share our goals for the sake of being consistent in our faith? Are we willing to honor people who don't share our goals and be honest about the ways they do well? To be honest about the fact that they still reflect God's image and maybe even reflect it in ways that we don't. Now, this is obviously a lot of very big, very broad statements. 15 minutes or so on a podcast isn't really enough time to dig into all of the theological support for this or go through what's different about how people in Philippi thought about people groups compared to the way we think about people groups today or start working through all of the ways to apply this idea. That's what our classes are for. And if you're listening to this, you're actually going to have a chance to join one of our classes very soon. More on that in the next few weeks. What we try to do on this podcast, though, episode by episode, is highlight small ways that we can let the manner of our lives 
be worthy of the gospel when we engage the public square. We try not to get caught up in how do we make sure the objects of our scorn or the parties of our votes are worthy of the gospel, not what's the Christian thing to denounce or who are the Christian people to ignore, the manner of our lives. Sometimes, highlighting how Christians can let the manner of our lives be worthy of the gospel in the public square takes the form of interviews with people who work in politics or government. Sometimes it's short excerpts from our classes. Sometimes it's a reflection like this one or an editorial like back in episode 34. And sometimes it's going to be a looser conversation between different leaders in our ministry. But our hope is that every episode can, at the very least, demonstrate how a specific member of the body of Christ is thinking, speaking, or acting differently because of their faith. Hopefully, by highlighting that, we can all explore how we need to let our faith change our approach to politics, too. That's a lifelong project. None of us are going to be finished works until Jesus comes back. But if you're looking for some help getting started, some help jump-starting that aspect of your discipleship, visit our website, christiancivics.org, where you can buy a copy of Light to the World, Navigating Politics in Light of the Christian Story. It's a four-chapter Bible study and discussion guide exploring how the Bible's themes of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration can challenge us to change our attitudes and behavior in the public square. And it's a great place to start, whether you're on your own figuring this out or leading a small group through these questions. Now, we almost always end these episodes in prayer, so please pray with me now. Heavenly Father, search our hearts and know us. Show us the ways in which we still assume that the things that make us part of a people group in the world also give us moral standing over other people in the church. Teach us to stop using your faith to bolster our partisanship, our political zeal, and start submitting our politics to the scrutiny of the faith, even when we're already sure that our politics reflect your heart. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who sees more clearly than we do, understands more deeply than we do, and was already far more capable than we are of envisioning what your kingdom would be before he ascended to sit at your right hand. Amen. All right, that's it for this week. Thank you all very much for being with us. Thank you to Lauren Larson for producing this episode. Visit our website, christiancivics.org, for a transcript of this episode, for an action item, and to get your copy of Light to the World. We'll be back next week with an episode on the COVID vaccine. Until then, thank you for joining us as we all work together to think, speak, and act differently in the public square.